turn the fans down a notch? I feel like I'm in a wind tunnel a little bit. My, if, my, if my outline goes, I could go on forever. The outline keeps me, keeps me going. All right. Maybe nobody knows how to do it. Somebody's going to do it, I'm sure. Thank you. Silas has got it. Oh, Grace is going to figure it out. Thank you. All right, we're, gonna, we're coming to our, 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 the end of our series on First Peter, and uh, we're actually we're going to do one more message next week. Um, we'll cover the last few verses, but today we're just going to focus on verses 6 to 11. And uh, th- Peter's basically, coming, as he comes to the end of his letter, he's summarizing a lot of the themes that he's been hitting throughout the, uh, the letter that he's been writing to the people in Asia Minor, the churches in Asia Minor, and uh, helping them to understand what it means to how to live their lives in response to God, particularly as they face persecution, as they face trials, as they face suffering. And so he, he summarizes uh, a lot of that here in these last few verses, but he also warns us about a very dangerous enemy that we all need to be aware of, that the people need to be aware of, that we need to be aware of. So listen to God's word as I read from 1 Peter 5. I'm just going to read uh, 6 to 11 this morning. It's printed in your order of worship if you don't have a Bible. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, The God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would help us, that you would help us to listen to what you have to say to us this morning. We thank you that you are faithful. We thank you that by your spirit you do speak We pray that you would use your truth right now to to shape our hearts, to grow us, to strengthen us, to help us to see you more clearly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you can possibly avoid it at all costs, if you can avoid it, you want to steer clear of being swallowed by a large, vicious animal. You probably don't. You know, I don't have to convince you of that. That's something I want to make sure that's not on my list of things I want to experience in life, getting swallowed by a large, vicious animal. Um, there's a really funny scene in the, the movie of Jumanji. I don't know how many, how many of you guys have seen the new Jumanji, the new version of Jumanji that came out in the last year. But it's about these, these four teenagers, teenagers that get transported into this video game, and the rest of the movie they're trying to get out of the video game. But, but when they first get transported in, they all fall out of the sky into this jungle. And, um, and, they, and they stand up on the edge of this riverbank, and, and one of the characters, played by Jack Black, is standing there with his back to the riverbank, and he's, and he's talking. He's like, what is going on? He's like, Look, they're all in different bodies and everything. And, and the other three are looking at him from 20 feet away, and, uh, and they're all like kind of trying to figure out what's going on. And as he's talking, completely unbeknownst to him, a giant hippopotamus rises from the edge of the water, opens its jaws, and the other three are like, look behind you. They're, they're trying to warn him. They're doing everything they can to warn him. And within seconds, the hippopotamus chomps down on Jack Black and basically swallows him in three bites. You know, the, 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 uh, his upper torso and then his legs, and one leg is just dangling out of his mouth, and he just like tosses it in. And the only thing left of Jack Black after the hippopotamus goes into the water is his hat floating in the water. 
that's something you want to avoid, right? <laughs> Everybody is horrified at that point. So if you, want to avoid, if, if you can avoid being devoured, you definitely want to avoid it. In this passage, Peter says something that may sound a little like it's out of a, a, a fictional movie like Jumanji, out of a fantasy novel. He warns the reader that they have an adversary, that we have an adversary, and that the devil is prowling around like a lion, looking for someone to devour. That sounds really dangerous when Peter says it that way, right? It sounds really dangerous. It sounds scary. It sounds like something that should cause us to be really afraid, for, for us to have our adrenaline to flow. When, I was, uh, when our kids were really little, um, when they were in preschool, I, I, I was getting our kids ready to go to take them to preschool, and we walked out of the front door of our house, and uh, as I'm getting ready to take them down the steps of the porch, there is a bear walking about 30 feet away down our sidewalk. And as soon as I see it, like immediately, I'm, I'm panicking, I'm scared, because I, I don't want me, I don't want my kids get attacked by this giant bear. Um, I was scared, my adrenaline was flowing. And, you know, the way that Peter puts this, that the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion, that, that's, that should cause our adrenaline to flow, shouldn't it? It should make us be like, wonder if we should be panicking right now, and yet most of us don't even think about it all that much. We don't think about the fact that we have an enemy that is looking to consume us, to destroy us, to devour us. But Peter says as clearly as he can, the danger is real. The danger is real. For every single one of us, the danger is real. The devil is looking to devour you, to consume you, to destroy you. What is, that, what, is, what is his objective? What does that mean, that he's looking to consume us, that he's looking to devour us? Well, I think ultimately he's looking to, to destroy uh, any opportunity we have to connect with God, to know God, to be known by God, to live in relationship to God. That's how he will ultimately destroy us because that is what we were made for, is to walk in relationship with God now and forever. And the devil wants to destroy that. If he can destroy that connection that, that you might have with God, then he has destroyed you. So he wants to do everything he can. If you, if you come to, to believe in God, to pull you away from God, if you don't know God, if you're here this morning and, you're, and you don't think of yourself as a Christian or you don't have a relationship with God, then, then the devil's objective is to keep you from knowing him. And that is what will destroy you. That's, that's his objective, to devour you. And so Peter warns us, he says, this is what you need to do in order to escape the jaws of the devil, in order to escape the, the danger that faces us with the devil. And, and he gives us, I think, four things that we need to incorporate into our lives in order to, to, to escape the danger that the devil poses. The first is humility. The first is humility. Verse 6, remember that Peter is talking primarily about the prospect of the people facing persecution and facing suffering. And you can imagine, as people became Christians, they were, they were living in this world of uncertainty where they lived under a government that was opposed to Christians and, and people who were, were opposed to Christians, that, that it was a little nerve-wracking. It, it would cause them to worry about how they would live, about how they might be attacked, about how their lives might go badly. You know, it could cause them to be anxious and to worry. And so Peter starts off, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that, so, that, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. P- 
Peter says, basically, humble yourselves. And he says, this is how you should humble yourselves. You need to cast your anxieties on him. That's what it means to humble yourself in this instance. He, he basically says there's a direct correlation between your anxiety and your pride. Peter's saying, if, basically, uh, to humble yourself is to cast your anxiety on him. To be proud is to hold on to your anxiety. To worry. And that isn't maybe, it's not necessarily immediately apparent for us to see how is pride connected to anxiety. But I think it really is. I think pride and anxiety are very much connected. Because what, what, is, what is anxiety the result of? One thing that anxiety is the result of is, is thinking that I am shouldering the burden of my life on my own. That I need to face my problems and, and work through my problems and solve my problems in my own strength. That I can do that, maybe. And as I think about trying to, trying to live my life relying on my resources, that's what creates anxiety because my resources are never enough. But that's what pride, pride is. It's thinking that it's all about me and what I can do and what I have to do. And so he says, listen, you need to humble yourself and say, I need help. I have a God who is mighty. I have a God who cares for me and I need to cast my anxiety on him. That's, that's an act of humility. To look at the, the issues in my life and to say, I can't do this. I need you, God. So this is the thing. Anxiety can be crippling, can't it? It can be crippling to be plagued by anxiety, and I think the devil knows this. This is one way I think the devil uses trials in our life to, to separate us from God or to keep us from knowing God is, is by filling our hearts and minds with anxiety. You know, we, we, we are distracted from what we need to, to think about and, and the truth that, we, that will give us encouragement and strength because we're so preoccupied by all of these things that cause us anxiety. The conflicts that we have in our life, the, the trials that people that we love are going through, the uncertainty of our future. Maybe a, a, a major meeting with somebody who is really powerful that we have to talk to. And we're so anxious about these things that, that we forget to think about the things that God wants us to be thinking about. We forget to even think about him and what he might do in the midst of these things. Anxiety can also be crippling because it, it impacts us physically, right? I don't know how many of you guys have, have ever noticed in your, in your life where, where you, you internalize your anxiety and, and it ends up showing itself in, in headaches and stomach aches and just fatigue. Anxiety can be crippling. And God says, what I want you to do is to humble yourself, to, to recognize that you aren't enough, but I am. That God is mighty and that he cares about you. And you need to say, God, I, I need your help. I need your help. And so humility is the first thing that we, need to, that we need to cultivate in our lives if we want to escape the jaws of the devil. Secondly, he says, he talks about watchfulness. In verse eight, Peter says, be sober-minded, be watchful. And then he warns us that the devil is prowling around. The devil is stalking you. I love, I've mentioned him before, I love this guy Bear Grylls. I don't know how many of you guys watch Bear Grylls on TV, but he's got this one program where he takes celebrities out in the wilderness, and he's a, he's a survival expert. So he takes them out in the wilderness, and, and he does all these crazy things with them, and he, you know, they rappel off cliffs, they, they shimmy across a ravine on a, on a single rope, and, and he makes them eat all these disgusting things that you don't have to eat if you're trying to survive. 
Um, one of the things that he often reminds the people of is they're walking through the wilderness, no matter what kind of, the ter- what kind of terrain it is. He's, he's like, you guys need to be watchful. You have to be alert. Because you never know if the rock that you're stepping under, stepping over has a rattlesnake underneath it. Or a pool that you're walking by has an alligator just floating in there. He's always warning them, you have to be watchful. You have to be paying attention. You have to be alert. And I think this is what Peter encourages us to, to realize we need to be in our lives. We need to be watchful. We need to be alert to, to how the things in our lives, how, how Satan might, the devil might want to use the things in our lives to bring about doubt, to bring about discouragement, to, to pull us away from God. So how are we to be alert to the devil? One thing, I don't know if this is the best way to explain it, but I don't know how many of you guys have read the Chronicles of Narnia. How, how many of you guys have read the Chronicles of Narnia? A few guys, a lot of you guys, okay. If you have not read it, if you have not read any of the books, you must. This is an assignment, it is mandatory, okay? There are four copies of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe on your way out. First four people, grab them and read it. I'm serious. <laughs> if I watch anybody like walk by, I'm going to ask you if you've read it, okay? So The Chronicles of Narnia, awesome children's stories that C.S. Lewis has written. And he's, he's written them as, as fantastic children's stories, fantasy stories. You can just read them as a children's story, and they're, and they're so incredibly entertaining. They're awesome, right? But if you know anything about C.S. Lewis's worldview and you know his beliefs as a Christian, if you, you can also read those stories and realize that, that there's all sorts of things in there that symbolize all sorts of things about the Christian faith. And so you can read it on one level and just kind of enjoy it as a story, but you can read it on another level and learn all sorts of things from it. If you're paying attention and you, and you see, you know, this, this person, this, this character represents Jesus. This character represents what it looks like to struggle with sin, you know. And, and, you can, and you, if you're paying attention, if you're watchful, you can get all sorts of other things out of it. You can, wa- you can read that story from another perspective, from above, right? And so I think that's the way we need to approach our lives, in one sense, we can approach our lives in, on, on a purely horizontal level, you know, and as things happen to us, as things unexpected happen to us, um, as things that are great happen to us, as things discour- that are discouraging happen to us, as we go through trials, we can just meet those things and, and just, like, react to them, just as they are. Um, but then we can also, if we are watchful, look at all of the things that happen in our lives, whether they're major things or just even small, little, minor detours that our day takes and realize that God is at work and try to look at these things from his perspective, that there's a, there's a spiritual dimension to everything that's going on in my life, that it can be so easy to just ignore. And I need to be watchful, you know? When I get in my car and I turn the key and it doesn't do anything, that's something the devil might want to use in my day. And I need to be watchful and realize how does God want to use this instead, right? So we need to be watchful, sober-minded and watchful. And, and obviously, if, if we're watchful, if we're aware that the devil is at work, that God is at work in my life, I'm looking at all these things, then I need to resist him. I need to resist the devil. It requires resistance. He says in verse 9, resist him. Firm your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Peter reminds the people, you know, what they are going through, the trials that they are facing, the trials that they will go through are no different from the trials that every other Christian is going through. We will experience suffering and trials. 
The devil will work to use those things to devour us, and what we need to do is resist him. How is it that we need to, how, how do we, we need to take action, and, and how is it that we can do that? How can we take action to resist the devil, to fight back? I think one of the best places to look is if, if you look over in another book in the Bible, in Ephesians 6, Paul writes a letter to the Ephesians, and in Ephesians 6, he talks about spiritual fighting. He talks about fighting the devil, the evil one, and he talks about putting on the armor of God, and he, and he makes reference to a couple different weapons that we need to use if we are to fight the devil. One of those, he talks about, is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is our primary weapon as we fight the devil, as we fight what he wants to do in our lives, is, is the Word of God. It's the Bible. It's, it's where we find truth. That is what God's Word is. It's, 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 it's what is true about me, about the world, about God, about everything that I need to know in order to live a life in response to God. And so what's crucial, the, the, the greatest weapon that the devil has in his arsenal, it's lying to you. It's the use of lies. And so the best way that we can resist him is to fill our minds with as much truth as we possibly can from his word. And so we need to get good at studying the Bible, studying God's truth, we need to get good at memorizing it, at thinking about it regularly so that, so that when the devil comes at me today with the lie that God doesn't really love me, with the lie that God doesn't care enough to, to be at work in my life, that everything is out of control, that I remember what is true, that God does care, that God does love me, that he is working all things in my life for my good because I am his. We need to fill our minds with as much truth, as much of God's truth as we possibly can if we want to resist the devil. And he also talks about prayer in Ephesians 6. Prayer is another huge weapon that he invites us to use. Um, and again, this is tied to humility. You know, the, the, a, a person who's praying regularly is a person who's recognizing that they cannot do it themselves. They need the mighty hand of God to be at work in their lives, to protect them and to lead them and to provide for them. And so we need to pray. We need to be people who pray regularly, who set aside time in our days to, to just talk to God, but also throughout the rest of the day who are regularly talking to God about everything that is happening. Everything. The things that, that, that I'm encouraged by, to be thankful for, the things that, that I'm struggling with, the distractions that I experience. I need to be talking to God about it all. I need to pray. And then, of course, in, in Ephesians 6, he talks about having a shield. It's not a weapon. I guess you could use a, a shield as a weapon, but the shield of faith with which you extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one, right? He talks about faith. He talks about trusting in God, believing in God and what he has done. And I think that's very much tied to the last thing that I want to point to, which is hope. Hope. This is the last thing that we need that's crucial. We need to hope in someone that's bigger than us. Ultimately, in order to escape the jaws of the devil, in order to escape the danger that the devil poses to us, we need to hope in someone that is bigger than us. We cannot do it ourselves. No matter how watchful we are, no matter how good we are at trying to resist him, we cannot do it ourselves. We need to hope in someone that is bigger this is something we need, to, we need to really come to terms with. We cannot do this ourselves. Um, another story of, of uh, us walking out of our front door and then being encountered by a, a, a giant animal. One of the things I'm, I'm probably most ashamed of as a dad, 
Okay? I walked out of the door with my son Titus when he was little. We walked out the door, and we're starting to walk down the steps of our front porch again. And up the street, there's a giant dog. Like a, is, is it Great Dane? Is that like, like Marmaduke? What, what's, is that what those things are? They're, they're, okay, thank you. They're like huge, right? They're, they're, these things are massive. And, and so he's up the street. He, I, we see him, and he barks, and he starts running towards us immediately. He starts running towards us. And I'm like, we're going to die. <laughs> this thing is mammoth. And so immediately, I like, we're, I'm like, we've got to get back inside. And, and so I'm, I'm like ahead of Titus. <laughs> and I get inside, and this dog is like coming up the steps. And I'm panicking, and I start to shut the door and leave Titus out there. <laughs> and, and then I, I realize, you know, I, 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 then I like kind of open it and get him inside. And, 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 uh, but I'm, I'm like, it's, I'm, if I'm going to rely on my own courage, I'm going to fail every time. I need someone that is bigger. I need someone that is more powerful. Um, I need God. I need Jesus. And that's where he finishes. In verse 10, he says, After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. That is where we need to put our hope. That is what we need to believe in. That is what we need to trust in, that God is big enough to take care of us. That he is enough. Um... The key thing about hope, just like faith, is that the power of hope does not lie in the strength of your hope, but in the power of the one that you are hoping in. That is the beauty of hope. The kind of hope that helps us to escape the lion-like jaws of the devil is not a simple hope in the fact that things are going to maybe get better, but it's in a hope of the one who is strong enough to restore what is broken, to confirm us. The word confirm is talking about making us like granite, solid, like steel, to strengthen us, to make us strong in the midst of our weakness, to, to, to establish us, to give us a place where we are a, a foundation that is immovable. God is big enough. It, the, the only way that we can face the danger of the devil is to know that we have someone who is bigger, someone who is stronger. And, it, and, and, it all, and all that he offers us comes to us through Christ. He says, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ all of his strength, all of his power comes to us through the work of Jesus. And that is where our hope lies. Coming back, uh, well, let me just mention this. He talks about the devil as a lion, right? It's interesting. There's another lion that's referred to in the Bible, right? Um, And that is Jesus. Jesus is referred to in the book of Revelation as a lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the ultimate lion, the lion who is stronger than any other's. And as we think about the danger that the, the, the devil as a lion poses to us, our only hope is that we have a lion that is bigger, that is stronger, that is greater. Coming back to the Chronicles of Narnia, um, who is uh, the Jesus figure in the Chronicles of Narnia? If you've read it, Aslan. And what is Aslan? He's a lion, right? Aslan is a lion. Um, I love, in, in the book, the, the children come into this different world, this, this world of Narnia, and they're talking that the world has been covered by a blanket of snow and ice. The white witch has taken over, and it's always winter and never Christmas. And 
they meet these beavers, the children meet these beavers, and the beavers start talking about this great person, Aslan, who's going to come and, and, and rescue them. And, uh, and then the, the children are like, who's Aslan? You know, what, what's this Aslan? And then one of the, uh, the beavers says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan, it's one of the kids. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Because he, of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And then in another segment, they, they, they recite a prophecy about Aslan coming. It says, wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. This is what our hope is in. Jesus Christ, the Lion of Judah, the one who will make all things right. Let's put our hope in him this morning as we think about the danger, as we think about being watchful and as we, as we resist. Let's rest in the power and the strength of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us this morning to, to know that you are sufficient, that you are strong, that you are powerful, that you are great to humble ourselves, to know that we are weak, that we are not enough, that we don't have enough courage to do this on our own. Father, we pray that you would help us to trust you, to rest in what you have done for us in Christ, that it's in Christ alone that we have hope. We pray that you would uh, just fill us with a vision of how big and strong you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.